You're listening to Family Life Church, San Jose. And now, a message from Pastor Richard Hernandez. None of you would go to your job and say, man, I just love coming in today. You don't have to pay me today. <laughs> no. So what happens is, is that we want to see a harvest for the things that we do. And God promises that when we follow according to his plan, and when we go according to his word, and when we put our trust in him, that God is the one who is, repays us. Come on, somebody. He's the one that recognizes what we're doing, but he also honors those that follow his plan. The sermon today is called God's Playbook. The series is called Game Plan, but today's series sermon is called God's Playbook because the Bible gives us access to God's playbook. I, I, I know it's football and the big season's going on. Niner fans are kind of excited. I saw you guys kind of, yay. You're not like Raider fans. If this was a Raider game, it would have been crazy up in here. Niner fans are like, yeah, we're going to win. Stop trolling, Richard. I thought you were telling you're not going to do that. <laughs> No, I believe that this year in 2020 that you're going to see a harvest. In fact, it is the goal of our church that you are going to grow spiritually and you're going to see personal growth. Come on, somebody. I, I want to see growth. We're, belie we're believing that we're going to see growth this year in the church and in your personal life. But we got to understand the playbook. We got to begin to understand the Bible. In fact, we're going to get into something here. Acts chapter 2 is the formation of the church. We begin to see that God is putting all his plan come together and the church is being formed. In Acts chapter 2, all the way to God tells his disciples after he ascends, he tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. Now they go to the Jerusalem and they begin to pray in the upper room and then the spirit comes down. The Bible says that then suddenly the room was filled with fire and it fell on them like tongues and, and, and all of a sudden and the promise was there and something amazing happens people are tripping they're looking at these say these people must be drunk so i want to take it from verse 32 acts chapter 2 and verse 32 because i want it's been it, this this touches on the things that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks so set the stage the spirit has come people are getting filled with the spirit and people are starting to point out these people are drunk peter it gets up and he begins to preach to tell them what is happening he's trying to show them what's going on in acts chapter 2 verse 32 it says this peter begins to preach he says god raised jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this he begins to say that i have seen something with my own eyes how many know he's a witness he gets up and says we witness jesus rise from the dead now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at god's right hand and the father as he had promised gave him the holy spirit to pour upon us just as you've seen today. All those people watching became witnesses as well, right? Because the Spirit of God fell. In verse 34, it says, For David himself never ascended unto heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool underneath your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. In other words, the, the person you've been waiting for and looking for is this man named Jesus. I have witnessed it with my own eyes. Come on. Verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? When they began to witness and tell people what they saw, the people that are witnessing began to say, what do we have to do to get what you got? Come on, somebody. And so this is why we've been talking about why you need to be the witness, because people begin to say, I want that. So what does Peter do? He begins to show that God's plan of salvation. He gets right into it. He says that Peter realized 
He said, replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you, say you, will receive the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and those who are far off. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. And all who have called upon the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How many know that still applies today? He's telling them that they need to be saved. And verse 41 is the key I wanted to get to. It says this, those who believed what Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Come on, that's good news. In one day, in a moment, 3,000 added to the church. Now, many times as a church, we say, man, if we can just have that, that book of Acts moment where thousands of people begin to call on the name of the Lord and are saved. How many know that that's a good vision to have, to see thousands of people suddenly come to the Lord in one day? Come on. That's a vision. But can I tell you something? That that 3,000 people that got saved that day didn't happen in a day. In fact, this was all part of a plan that Jesus himself started years before. See, we think that things just happen overnight, but I have seen God work over time because when things seem instant to you, chances are there was a plan in motion that led up to your miracle the whole time, that God was putting things in motion and you didn't even know about it. See, that's why we need to be patient and trust God in the process because God put things in motion on your behalf and you may not even known about it. And what I'm saying is your name could have been written on a card. And somebody was interceding and praying for you. And you didn't even know that you were on the prayers of people's lips. You didn't even know your name was on their lips, believing God for your salvation. Because God has a plan. And you were a part of it. You may not have even known. That he was thinking about you. That he was working things out. That he was structuring things. Sending the right people your way. Because you were part of a plan. Say, God has a plan. And I'm in it. God is a God. He was a master planner. See, you may not even know all the things that God has done on your behalf. This is why I'm trying to tell the church, you can't be afraid to sit down and begin to plan. To ask God, God, give me a plan. Because I see that's how the Lord works. The Lord works with a master plan he doesn't just have vision he doesn't just talk about it he's already put things in motion come on huh you need to have a plan but see what happens is when i say you got to have a plan people go to this extreme and they begin to go too rigid and said all well you but pastor richard said we got to make a plan for every minute of every day we get so rigid that we want to have everything oh god what should i eat for breakfast this morning oh god what should i wear this morning Oh, God, should I make a left or a right? We begin, because we sometimes, how, how many know that micromanagement doesn't work? If you got a boss that's micromanaging, are you going to do it like that? You got a husband or wife that's micromanaging you? Is that really what you want to wear today? Oh, come on. But sometimes we want God to micromanage everything. Like we're going to feel like everything. That's not in the agenda. I'm not going to do anything about that. Going on vacation, talking about today. Right now is not the hour of fun. It's not the hour of fun. Stop having fun. How many know that wouldn't be a good vacation? No, I'm not saying that you'd be so rigid. I've seen them, man. I've seen these Christians. I'll be like, hey, brother, you want to go to lunch? You're like, the Lord said no. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I can't go to lunch with you. Uh, now, 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 you should go to God and you put him in all your areas of your life and he may instruct you to do certain things. But what I'm saying is, is not to look for the Lord to micromanage a plan, but to give you the foundations and the principles of the plan. Come on. In fact, come on. I'm going to teach you something. It's the NFL playoffs. And let me tell you, every single team that's playing today has put together a game plan. Every single one of them have studied the film, have looked at the opponent, have figured out the best thing. They all have a game plan, but along uh, throughout the game, they need to make adjustments. Depending how the game goes, they're going to have to maintain some level of flexibility. How many know they don't just give up? Oh, it's not working. We quit. Sorry, it didn't work. They have a game plan, but they got to keep some flexibility. So for a plan to work, it's going to take flexibility, but also commitment. So you might have to adjust along the way, but you need to stay committed to what God has already begun to show you. Because how many know, that I love this from Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. That's one of my favorite quotes. Like, you can have a plan, but Mike Tyson is coming. And everybody has a plan till they hear that punch. And how many know, Mike Tyson made some people give up. But can I tell you something? If you have a plan that comes from God, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take diligence. And if it's really from God and Pastor Mitch and Pastor Richard, Pastor John, and every other Christian can tell you that if it's a real plan from God, you're going to meet opposition. And that opposition is going to punch you in the mouth. But the question is, are you going to quit and give up on the plan because somebody stood up against you and gave you opposition. No, I'm telling you that even the opposition is part of God's plan. And it may not happen overnight, but if you endure to the end, you're going to see the harvest. Come on. If it comes from God, you're going to get hit in the mouth. Sometimes it's going to feel like it's Mike Tyson. In fact, things don't just happen overnight. And, and, and the book of Acts, the Bible says that. Then suddenly the room was filled with fire. And, and we love that because we feel like, okay, at any second, God's going to come through. But can I tell you, do you know that the uh, apostles, the, the people, the followers of Jesus, were praying for 10 days in the upper room before the Spirit came? How many know if the fifth day came and they gave up, what would have happened? People are going to miss out. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? So even that then suddenly, it took some diligence. When's the last time that you got up early and you began to pray diligently for something? You say, God, I'm asking you to come through, and you leave service today and said it didn't work. It's going to take commitment. Come on, somebody. Proverbs 16 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So if it's going to take flexibility and commitment, well, you still haven't explained how a plan works. Well, I'm going to try to give you some keys to how you can develop and put together a plan. It's a method. You need a method. And a method should be simple. Too many times we overcomplicate things. And, and we got to realize that with God, he didn't overcomplicate his plans. They're not, they're not complicated, but they are intricate. Come on, somebody. They are detailed. They are specific, but they are not, they're not complicated. The Lord says, love God, worship no other. Come on. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's not complicated. But let me tell you something. It's intricate. There's a lot to that. I could spend all day just teaching that. So the method that I want to teach you today is uh, identify, organize, and execute. Now, there are several methods that when you're putting together a plan, but this is what I have used in business, and it's successful. When I do this, when I begin to strategize and I put together a plan, I find that I'm way more successful than when I'm shooting from the hip. Come on. When I actually take the time to put a plan together, I follow this principle in life. And every time, my wife says this all the time, she's quoting a Benjamin. She says, uh, uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. 
So that, that's a Ben Franklin quote, because if you don't put together the plan, the chances are at the end of the day, you're not going to make it through. So this, this whole thing that I want to teach you, it's identify what we're trying to do. What are the goals? Organize. What do we need to do to make those goals happen? What resources? How many people? How much money? What's it going to take to make this happen? And execute. Because, and, and execute is when can we start and how do we stay motivated? How many know when you start something, you need to stay motivated to see it through? Come on. What happens is we quit too easy, so we got to stay motivated. So that's part of the execute. Now, I want you to understand something of what I was teaching last, year, last week. Identi identify comes from your vision. You begin to identify what it is you're trying to do when you're a person of vision. If you don't have vision, you'll never identify what you need to change about yourself. You need to have vision. Come on. And then organize is putting a plan together. A plan doesn't work if you're not organized. I'm an agent of chaos, my wife will tell you. I got a system. Throw this over here, throw that over there. When I'm looking for that, I know I threw it over there on the ground. My wife is an organized person. The problem with my chaos, I can never tell anybody, hey, go to my room and pick some, go, get my, go get my shirt. I got to say, well, it's underneath the bed. You got to move a few things. <laughs> you got to dig it out. If it's not organized, you know the problem is that other people can't follow the plan. It took me a while to learn that. I used to say that I'm organized chaos. I know exactly what's going on. My desk is papers everywhere. Don't touch everything. I know where everything's at. But you know, I realized that I can never tell somebody, hey, can you go get that piece of paper? Because they go to my desk and they're like, what is this? So I used to say I'm organized chaos. Well, God began to deal with me that that's not a plan that other people can follow. Come on, y'all with me. So planning and organization go hand to hand. And then finally execute. That's action. You can't execute nothing if you don't take action. Now, this is a simple method that, that you can, that'll help you develop and follow a plan. So when you know how a plan works, it makes it easier to follow plans. Come on. Some of us can't follow it because we can't follow simple instructions. <laughs> we don't know how a plan comes together, so, so we just have no idea that what you're talking about. You're talking about plan, organization, I don't know how it goes together. But this is a practical method. Now, finally, I want to give you one more thing about putting a plan together because this is important. The third thing I want to give you is that finally for a plan to work, it needs players. Come on. I'm telling you that your coach can draw up the greatest plays in the history of all things, but if you don't have the players to run those plays, your playbook isn't going to work. Can I tell you that we can have stacks and stacks of Bibles, but if there isn't somebody living them out in exampleship, if there ain't players that are carrying out the mission of God, how many know it's not going to be effective? And so for the God's playbook to actually work, there needs to be players that are running the plays. Come on. So if a playbook has X's and O's, you need to see yourself as an X or an O. Hugs and kisses. <laughs> For all you non-football fans. See, see, you're supposed to be a part of this thing. There are players, and you're a part of the plan. You need to understand that you need to assert yourself in the plan. Can I tell you, for the church plan to work, for your marriage plan to work, for your career plan to work, you need to, you need to be a player. You can't, you can't expect other people to do your part and expect the plan to work. Come on, you got to hear what I'm saying. Some of y'all looking at your husband, you got to do it all. You got to fix it all. No, you're supposed both to be players. If you're waiting for somebody else to do it, the plan isn't going to work. Why? Because God is so intricate that he designed the plan of the church with a part for you. He designed a part of marriage, or the plan of marriage, with a part for you. He gave a part to the husband. He gave a part to the wife. Come on. On your career, you have a responsibility. You have a part of the job. But if you're not part of the team, if you're not going to run the play, 
How many know it's not going to work? Some of us need to get back to learning how to follow instructions. Okay, so let's go back to God's playbook and look at the Bible, what it says. So if 3,000 people believing God and being baptized did not happen overnight, when did it start? Now, technically, I can look at the whole Bible and say it started in Genesis. But for this case, I begin to identify, let's call 3,000 people a harvest. How many know that sounds like a good harvest? 3,000 people being saved in, in a day sounds like a good harvest. Well, if there is a harvest, the Bible tells me that if there's a harvest, there needs to be what? Seed. So somewhere along the line, there had to be seed. Let's take a look at what Jesus says about harvest. So we've identified that 3,000 people being saved is a harvest. Let's see what Jesus has to say about harvest in Matthew chapter 9. It says this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Jesus identifies people as the harvest that matters. He begins to look at it. Pastor Mitch has made that the vision of this year harvest. In fact, months before, all the way back when we started the witness series, God spoke to him that harvest was going to be the thing. Everything we've been preaching up until this point is to get us to understand that God has given us a vision for people to harvest. Come on. This is God's playbook. The same vision that Jesus had for people is the vision of our church, right, Pastor? To see people saved, right? So Jesus says, look to the harvest. They're ready. So he's identified, well, what comes next? Well, he needs to organize. He can't just stop at vision. Look at all those people that need Jesus. See ya. Good luck. I hope you find me. Hide and seek with Jesus. No, he begins to organize. How does he organize? Well, he looks to the people that are listening. Say, God has a plan. I'm in it. Hmm. Matthew 10 continues. He says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them the authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease. Jesus begins to organize by putting together a team. He begins to give them, he puts together the team and he gives them the authority to run the place. He gives them detailed instructions. Look how detailed he gives them because he doesn't just say, okay, you guys are the ones that are going to do it. He gives a plan. Verse 5 says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. He said, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you received. How many know there is instructions that we're supposed to follow? Do you know that God gives us instructions? He doesn't ask us to do great things without the instruction to do them. He doesn't just tell you that you're going to overcome your sin or overcome your weakness without giving you the instructions on how you're going to do it. In fact, Jesus is very specific and detailed. In fact, next week we'll go even further what this meant. But I want you to walk away that the fact is that for a plan to work, you need instructions and you need to follow through. In fact, you should highlight, it says give freely. Because God's plan will require something of you. You can't sit on the sideline and expect God for all these things to work out. God's going to ask you. What does he do when he says the harvest is ready? He turns to his disciples. I'm talking to you. Amen. He said, pray to the Lord for the harvest, but I'm really talking to you. Amen. Oh, you don't, you're not hearing me. Yet. You're not there yet. You're not there yet. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. We'll go deeper. A few of you guys are getting it. It says this in verse 9. 
Because Jesus is going to say, I'm going to break it down even further. This is what he says. He says, don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, no silver, not even copper coins, not even pennies. Don't carry a traveler's bag or a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. He tells them not to take any money and not even a change of clothes and go walking for miles. Come on, somebody. Was the plan for them just to smell bad enough that people felt sorry for them? Like, man, bro, you dirty. Come on over here. Come over to my house. I don't know. Actually, actually, it wasn't just to make the disciples smell bad and look dirty. It was actually so that they would learn how to trust and walk in faith. Because how many know vision needs resources? Y'all with me? You need the motivation to keep it going. The only motivation that we have that we can get us through the day is going to be faith. And so Jesus was telling them that it's not going to be done just with money. In fact, he's given them a long-term plan because this was going to continue. You're going to need faith to see God's plan see through. Some of y'all need to learn to walk in faith again because if you walk by what you understand, the plan doesn't make sense. If you walk by your own understanding, you'll say like, wait a minute. How is this going to work without a change of clothes? Right? So in our natural mind, the plan doesn't work. That's why we need faith. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So let's go back to the plan because he tells them. He doesn't just leave them and say, you're going to go out there and you're going to stink. He says, don't worry, just trust in me. He says this, verse 11. Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person who has a shower and stay in his home and get cleaned up until you leave town. <laughs> when you enter the home, Give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take the blessing with you. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust off your feet and leave. See, this thing that he was talking about for it to endure was going to be resourced by the people who received the message. You got to hear what I'm saying. So he's going to send them out with a message and the people who receive the message are going to be the ones that are going to resource the message. You hear me? So wait, wait, but it's even deeper than that. He says, they're going to, and then, and then if they receive you, leave them a blessing. So the people who resource the message are the ones that are going to get a blessing. Come on. And if they have a blessing, that means they can continue to resource the vision. Right? So how do you get the blessing? Well, you need to resource. Oh, come on, y'all. I don't know if y'all with me. God has it figured out. Come on. Oh, man. I, I, I don't know about you, but I want the blessing to stay with me. You want to walk with the blessing? Come on, somebody. How do you do it? You resource the vision. Oh, man. To me, it sounds like God has a pretty good, well-thought-out plan. There's so much depth to it, but I got to keep moving. See, notice how he doesn't just stop at prayer. He doesn't just stop at vision. He says, look, we're going to get organized. We're going to put some things into motion. You're going to see the harvest. You're going to see it all get done. But let me tell you something. He needs the people to get it done with him. See, see, this is actually mass communicating. He's beginning to take the message and to spread it out as many people as he can. Because God had a plan for a harvest and Jesus couldn't reach the thousands by himself. So he begins to empower the people that are following him to help him plant the seed. See, there's a plan and you're in it. 
So what does this have to do with the harvest? Now, I'm going to try to bring it out, but I want you to understand something, that this isn't the only time that Jesus ran this play of sending out his disciples. In fact, Luke documents that he does it again, but this time he does it with more. Later in the ministry, it's more than just 12. There are 70, some say 72, but what he does, he runs the same play. He said, this play is going to work, guys. We're going to run it again. But this time he empowered 70 people and he told them to go out to every town for three years. He goes all around the ministry, all around every town, every synagogue, teaching and healing the sick, demonstrating so that everybody can witness that the power of God is here. So he goes all around. Come on. All around the areas, planting seeds, sends them out by pairs. How I many know this is mass communicating of the day? Now, I want you to understand that some people. Hear the message, but don't follow Jesus. Some people saw miracles and still didn't believe he was the Messiah. But seeds were planted. Waiting for the day of harvest. Let me tie it all together here because I'm going to fast forward really fast. You got to read the scriptures for yourself. You want to get it all, but I'm going to fast forward. Because after he's resurrected and he comes back to the disciples, he gives them that instruction that I told you earlier. He said, go wait in Jerusalem for the promise. And when you receive that promise, you're going to be receive the power to become what witnesses, right? To the ends of the earth, you're going to receive the power. So he tells them to go. Uh, uh, he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Now this is where the execute happens, where the action begins to all converge into something, because this happens during the festival of Pentecost. Now this is really important because it's not by accident that Jesus sends his disciples to Jerusalem on the festival of Pentecost because. It has another name called Shavat. Now, Shavat is the Feast of Weeks, or also known as the Feast of Harvest. So God sends them, come on, at the time of harvest. Are you guys seeing the connection here? So it's not by accident that Jesus sends them to Jerusalem to wait for the promise. And all this time, they've been working. I mean, though, it's not complicated, but it's intricate. It's detailed. It's thought out. And so he sends them at Shabbat. Now listen to what Shabbat's significance is. It has double significance because it marks the all-important wheat harvest in Israel where people bring wheat to the temple and they make bread. Come on, somebody. And they make bread, but it also commemorates the anniversary on the day that when God gave the Torah to Moses. Come on. I hope you guys are going to catch what I'm about to say because I want you guys to get to see. He sends them. See, this is a celebration of harvest, but also an acknowledgement of the day that God sent his word to Moses who gave and set them free with his word, the deliverer out of Egypt. Come on. So God sends them to a day where they're celebrating harvest in the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but this plan is really starting to come together. God is a master planner. Now, I want you to t understand that this is one of three major pilgrimages that the Jews from all over the place would come to the temple. There are certain times where you would go to the temple. There are three pilgrimages. Now, it is believed in this time that this was the most popular of the pilgrimages because of the connection with the Torah. But also, there's plenty of food. Come on. How many know it's a party when you got food? And so, but this particular pilgrimage, is, it, it, that's why look, there's bread. There's wine. It's a party. That's why when the thing goes down and people see these guys acting crazy and rejoicing at nine in the morning, he says these people are drunk because there's plenty of food and wine. But they weren't drunk. It was the Holy Spirit because it was 9 a.m. So how many know this is a party? 
So God sends them there. Now, other pilgrimages would have only attracted Jews because they, when, when you had your firstborn, you'd make a pilgrim to the, uh, the pilgrimage to the temple, and you would go there. There was other ones, but this one had a mass appeal to both Samaritan and Jew, and to non-Jews alike. They would go for the party. And so, in other words, that God sent them to the time of harvest when it was going to be most packed. Everybody's going to Jerusalem, and God sends them there for that moment. And three years, they went around to every town. These people heard of this man. They heard of Jesus. Are you guys seeing a master plan? Are you seeing that the exit, when executed properly at the right time, you will see a harvest? At the right time, in the right place, on the right day, that God would take all the years of work, everything that you've been planting, everything that you've been doing, God would bring it to conversion at the time of harvest, at the right day, in the right time, in the right place. Can I give you some insight that once everything was in place, it was time for the harvest. If there's not a harvest in your life, it's because things are not in place yet. And so what God is trying to say, get with the plan so that you can get ready to receive the harvest that I've been working on for years. Come on. This is the vision. This is what pastor's been saying. This is what we've been trying to get you to see, that there's a plan. But how many know a plan needs to be followed? What if Peter doesn't speak up and begin to preach and say, oh, I'm not a witness. It's not me. What if after the sixth or seventh day, they give up praying and interceding and stopping, waiting for the promise that God said? What if they stop and say, you know what? Forget it. I quit. I'm not going to do uh, children's ministry anymore. I'm not going to usher no more. I'm not going to pray anymore. What if when things got hard, they got punched in the mouth, they quit? What if you do that in your marriage? What if you do that in your home? What if we quit when God is working on our behalf this whole time, getting ready to bring the harvest, but we, but we leave? Can I tell you, I have seen people miss out on the harvest because they left and they gave up too early. They abandoned their post. They abandoned the playbook. They abandoned their marriage. They left their kids. They, they gave up on everything because they said, the plan isn't working for me. And all I can say is, are you following it for real? Because I see a God who's got all things worked out. I see a God who knew what was coming. I see a God that knew what was going to happen. All these people that heard the message come together on the day of harvest and the word of the Lord. And a harvest that Jesus told his apostles to look to three years for three years of ministry happened in one day. Three years Jesus went out planting seeds. Oh man, I don't know if we get it. The right time, at the right place, when we are ready to receive. How many know Peter was ready? Peter was ready. He said, oh, you're going to say we drunk? You're going to say we crazy? You go, oh, I'm about to speak up on this. He could have been intimidated. They're making fun of us. No, Peter was ready. He was like, oh, this is it. This is the promise that God spoke to us when we first met him. Oh, y'all ain't with me on this. Peter recognized this is what Jesus said on day one. This is the reason why he called me. When you get to the place where you can look back at day one and you'll start to realize, you'll be like, 
this is why God saved me. When you're, when you're looking at your marriage and it's on the rocks, you'll say, this is why I have the spirit of the Lord. When you look at you're overwhelmed on your job and you feel like you can't go on, this is why God says he believes in me. Oh, come on. Because at the right place, the right time, God will make the harvest come to pass. Let me wrap this up. God has a plan. And here at this church, we're trying to get everything ready to see that promise, to see that plan come to its full potential. Because let me tell you what happens when you don't have all the players in their right position. We don't get to execute it to its full potential. And so we want to see this thing work exactly the way God designed it. And God didn't design it with one person doing it all. He designed all of us to be a part of what he's trying to do. The plan includes you.